0: Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast live on Chronicle NUFC over on Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube. And later you can hear it on our podcast channel. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by our footballer, Mark Douglas. Mark, when we'll start with um, the Euros, first of all, I'm just wondering if you enjoyed the last few days of football, um, some interesting results, some interesting games, and what have you made of Newcastle's, you know? few players that have been partaking in the tournament so far. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean um Dubravka played well. I, I watched I watched a bit of that game. Um I thought Shah was uh Fabien wasn't he really, you know, brilliant at, at times but also capable of a Rick. Um but enjoying the tournament, yeah. I mean I think I just enjoy the, the the three games in a day, although I think Finland Russia wasn't a classic by the by the looks of things. And last night was a, a slow burner really. I mean Killian and Bappy just looked miles ahead France I think are the best team in the tournament. And I think from a Newcastle perspective, the best chance of glory is probably uh, their future manager, Antoine Griezmann, um, who looked absolutely sensational last night. I thought and, um, you know, I think probably most of Newcastle's got a bit of a soft spot for him now. He's a uh, football manager. Uh, now he's playing Newcastle's football manager. I thought they looked they looked miles ahead of anybody else, um, defensively really strong. Um, going forward, they, they, they could have gone through about three different gears and still had too much for Germany, who... would think will probably be one of the stronger teams in the tournament as well you know England made a solid enough start in there on Sunday I I don't think I'd be getting carried away by the performance on Sunday but it was controlled and measured and that's what you kind of need from England and remember that was a team that played them off the park for 65 minutes in a World Cup semi-final three years ago in England um, and England did quite well there so so yeah enjoying it I'm looking forward to Friday um Scotland were not great Wales not brilliant either so
0: you know, they can only surely get better as the uh, as the tournament progresses. I just want to show this video here of um, Emil Kraft. I mean very impressive there for you guys listening later on the podcast. That's a video of Emil Kraft in training scoring a two worldies, one a free kick right in the top corner, another one he beats about two men and then pops that in the top corner on the edge of the box. It's a shame he can't do that for Newcastle week in week out, but he came off the bench against Spain for Sweden and it, the way the game went, you know, Spain just threw everything at Sweden, and uh, especially—I mean, he would have been quite used to that, really. I mean, maybe not the last few games of Newcastle season, but certainly before uh, Newcastle picked to perform. It was—it was kind of a, a mirror performance in some ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, he uh, like it, it was—it was an interesting—it was an interesting game, really, because I think Spain, you know, we, we're used to them playing teams off the park, and I think even in even in 2010 2012 they passed they had a lot of possession passed the ball um but even then they they were getting criticized for you know what use is possession if you're not if you're not doing much with it and there were times even during their really strong period where i i felt you know they, they sometimes you, know, you can praise teams for possession all you want but if they're not doing anything with it and it's it's difficult to kind of get too too excited by it um and and i i always think that you know it, it's the easiest way to play, isn't it? The way that Sweden played the other day. You can see why Steve Bruce was tempted to do it earlier in the season as well, because you know, like, it's always harder for a for a good attacking team to pick off a, a good defensive team than it is to go toe to toe with them. Um, Sweden's challenge will come when they play some of the other teams in that group. Who, um, you know, we were going to, you know, they're going to have to play out a little bit more with. And I think that my. Um, concern about about some you know this tournament. I, I remember in 2016, and, and so far it hasn't happened. But in 2016, what you were getting, especially as the games wore on, was the weaker teams in the tournament really just basically defending and looking to get pick up a point because they knew that would get them through the second round, or one win gets them through to the second round, and you know that kind of encourages defensive football. We haven't really seen too much of that at the moment, although it was clearly the case um, for, for Sweden the other day. Um, I think Krafts, you know, like he gets a lot of stick, but I think he's been okay for Newcastle. You know, he's a squad player. You know, I don't think anybody else is expecting much more from him than that at Newcastle. But, um, you know, he's he's fairly decent in in terms of what he does. He's a support squad player. And I think the, the temptation is, and especially this season when things haven't been going very well, is to sort of say, well, we need better than that. But you have to have a squad. You can't, you know, in the Premier League, you have to have a squad of players and you have to have, Players who are of a decent level who can step in and do a job. And I think sometimes fans don't kind of appreciate that. Um, you know, Kraft's not going to start every game for Newcastle United. He is probably going to start five to 10 games a season, and maybe more than that. And he's at that level, I think, where he's not going to significantly weaken the team when he comes in. So, you know, it's very difficult, isn't it? I think, you know, you, you have to look at this as, as a squad game uh, in the Premier League. You have to look at it as a squad game in, in, in the Euros as well. There'll be injuries. Um, and, and, you know, when, when you see a player, like when you see him doing that for Sweden, it shows that he's, he's not a bad
0: player. We're diving into some questions that we've got. We've got this one off uh, Craig here who asks, Mark, do you think will Andy Carroll sign a new contract? And then he asks uh, who our picks are for the Euro. So we'll go with Andy Carroll first off. Um, you know, he's got an extension on the table. He's gone away on holiday. He's going to be thinking about it. Um, I think I've said previously uh, on a podcast with Lee a few days ago that in an ideal world, you wouldn't want Andy Carroll to resign a contract because, you know, he's coming towards the end of his career. It's not, for me, a mark of progression. You know, you want to be improving the squad. But on the other hand, I can see the club doing it because, you know, this is what Mike Ashley does. It's a kind of, a, it'll save a bit of money. Um, you know, you can end up spending 20, 25, 30 million on a striker. It's a budget Newcastle don't appear to have. And I can see why the club are going to do it. It's not necessarily, I think, something that shows a sign of, like I say, progression. What about yourself?
1: I think he will. I think he will probably sign up for another year. Um, He'll want to play more than he did this season. And I think that what, I think one of the intriguing parts about this, and, and it's very Newcastle United to be kind of in June. And we kind of know that Dwight Gale's, sign a new contract we know that jake and murphy's going to sign a new contract we know probably that andy carroll will, will stay um but they haven't announced anything you know we didn't i don't know whether steve bruce is probably more um you know having to stay a little bit quiet on these things because he doesn't know when the club are going to release them and, and, and what's going on with that but he didn't sound fulsome talking about in his praise sorry talking about dwight gale when he was asked about the, the three-year contract he hadn't played him much at all same deal really with Andy Carroll. Um, we know that the owner really likes Andy Carroll and has always been, you know, has always been a big fan of Andy Carroll all, all the way through. And it's always an interesting dynamic to know who is making these decisions, who who is driving them. Is it a totally football-based decision? In which case, I think personally, Steve Bruce would, would probably say, well, look, I'd like to refresh the squad, move it on, bring in a, a young player. I mean, we talked about Kyle Joseph, who's look like he's going to sign now but they were looking at him looking at maybe bringing in some younger players it looks like now it's probably going to be gail carroll and they might not even bring a new striker in um because they'll be looking to to tie up willock at the center back so it might be that they go with the same strikers that they've got um we obviously i mean i touched on Joel linton maybe maybe making a bit of an impact um when he um when he when he comes back because you know he, he has improved but they do need another striker for me you know you saw when um, Callum Wilson wasn't in the team, how much weaker they looked. But I think he will re-sign. Um, I, think it's, I think he knows he wants to stay in the Premier League. There's not another Premier League club out there for him, I don't believe. Um, I think it's too early for him to go to America, too early for him to kind of go and play in the MLS or, you know, go and go and play lower down the leagues, which I don't think he really would fancy. So I think it's, the, it's an ideal situation for him. And I, you know, he might want to play a bit more. He'll hope that he gets a chance to do that um, in pre-season and stakes his claim. And then and then gets into it. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, you know, when you when you saw how he played against Newport, I mean he was good around Christmas, he just didn't get the chances. And if he doesn't get the chances to play, you know, he's gonna get rusty. He's not he's the kind of player who needs to be sharp. And to be sharp, you need to play games.
0: Most certainly. And just briefly, your pick for the team to win the Euros. I'm gonna go with France. I mean that's an easy one, isn't it? Bro?
1: very boring, but yeah, I mean they look like the outstanding team in the tournament. Um Portugal, I think, are gonna be there or thereabouts. And it might be very interesting if they end up playing England in the next round. That'll be an absolutely barnstorming game. Um, my other team, obviously, I think have looked pretty sharp in the first first round of Belgium. You know, I think they they look really good. Um, but France, you just feel France have got about three or four gears to go through and they beat Germany in the first game. Um, and, you know, probably should have been more as well. So, yeah, I mean, so far they look very, very, you know, very justifiable favourites.
0: We've got a question here from Gordon Burke and he asks, is it true about Richie wanting to leave for family reasons? He says it would be a shame, but understandable at the same time. And he would be gutted to see Richie go. Um, I mean, I I think letting Richie go would be a a mistake, but we've known for a while that, you know, his family is down South and that's what kind of pushed the the, the deal that nearly went through in January. And it's not the first time that's cropped up. And of course, he's probably coming to that stage of career where he will be looking for one, maybe big, Big deal, and you know maybe a club down south could offer that to him. Um, what's your take on that?
1: Um, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think he's sort of. I think he's the kind of player because he's so professional. He will he will get on with it. But you know, it's a long standing thing, much like Isaac Hayden did previously, wanted to, to move um, closer to his family as well, who, who were based in the south. I don't think it's any um, secret that Richie Richie would prefer a move if he could for family reasons, but. I think there'll probably be a bit of him thinking, well, I finished the season so strongly with Newcastle that, you know, if I stay, it's not the end of the world. And I, I think Newcastle will will, will keep him. Um, he's just signed that new long long-term contract. And they know that there's nobody, nobody else who can who can do that impact. But again, it goes back to who's making the decisions here. You know, if Steve Bruce, knowing that he, he got money for Matt Ritchie and then was able to reinvest it in players who he felt could take the team forward, he might do that. But I'm not sure. That it's solely Steve Bruce's decision with a lot of these things, because I think, you know, finance um, and kind of the overall picture of the team um, are are also involved in those decisions. And, you know, it could be that he's that, that Bruce is kind of being told, well, look, you know, for, for economic reasons, that player is going to get a new contract, that player is going to get a new contract and, and we're going to keep this player. And I, I think that was that's always been the, the tension. I mean, it's, it's something that happens at all football clubs. There's always been a tension at Newcastle who makes those final decisions. And you know, we saw it with the previous manager. He wanted to do certain things, which we kind of told, look, economically that doesn't work for you. Um, and made it very clear he was unhappy with that. With Steve Bruce, I think he'll he might just have to, to sort of get on with it. And I, I, and you know, again, I, I do sometimes wonder who, who has the final say. I think probably the manager has a strong say in it, but it might be that you know, he has to kind of come to some compromises that he maybe wouldn't be his first choice. Um he probably would want to keep Matt Ritchie. Um but as I said, if he felt like there was somebody out there who could refresh the team and was a little bit, you know, could, could do the similar job, then he might he might look move him on. But I'm not sure Newcastle have that looking at the contract offers that they've got on the table, I'm not sure they have that determination to really definitively move the team forward this summer. It might just be one or two players coming in uh, and maybe a loan or, or two as well.
0: Good question here from Darren Lee Wells and he um, asks about Freddie Woodman he says surely the club will be looking at promoting Woodman this coming season to number two and offloading Darlow but I guess Mark even that might not be enough to keep Freddie Woodman at the club because you know he's played the last two seasons down at Swansea, first team football performed really well he's hinted that um, he hopes the season just gone wouldn't be his last at Swansea, Um, of course he'd probably love to play for Newcastle but with Martin Dubravka in front of you, it's not exactly going to be the easiest of uh, okay. challenges to to get that number one spot.
1: No, absolutely. And as you said, I don't, I don't know whether Freddie Woodman would particularly want to come back and play number two because he's played a full season in the Championship, won the Golden Gloves there, nearly got promoted to the Premier League himself. And I think knew that if he got promoted to the Premier League, Swansea would probably look to make that, that move permanent. Um, I think that it, it could well be that Woodman, if, a, if an offer comes in for him, they might listen to an offer for Woodman with certain terms attached to, to the transfer. So maybe a buyback um, and or a massive percentage like we've seen with Adam Armstrong as well. Um, but I don't think there's that kind of money sloshing around the market at the moment because I don't think in the championship there's anybody with 20, 30 million to spend. And I certainly don't think um, you know, there the, the will be any chance of that um that move to, to Swansea happening on a permanent basis now they've not got promoted. It could be another loan for Woodman, and um, for me, that kind of kicks the can down the road a little bit, which is you know what we're kind of used to with Newcastle. That that is their default setting is kicking the can down the road when it comes to uh, the kind of lead Charlie era. That, that unfortunately is where where we where we often see them going, um, and that that could well be the, the sort of compromise. Um, I think you know they, they're carrying three outstanding goalkeepers in. Woodman, Darlow and Dubravka. Um, and, you know, if you were a kind of dynamic club, you'd say, right, we need to cash in on one of them and reinvest it elsewhere. But whether Newcastle ready to do that, whether they, you know, whether they feel the market is right for them to do that, at the, is, this time isn't is in, in the decision. But as you, as you said, I don't know whether Woodman will want to come back. I think he's got his eyes on actually getting into that England squad. And I'll tell you what, when you look at three goalkeepers that they've taken to the Euros, He's probably not that far away because Aaron Ramsdale didn't have a particularly good season for Sheffield United and he's now the third choice keeper for England. I wouldn't have thought Woodman would be massively far away from that squad.
0: I mean, selling them, it could end up like Ivan Toney, like Adam Armstrong, where we're sitting here in 12 months' time, 18 months' time, saying, oh, what have Newcastle done? Even with a, a buyback clause or a sell on clause, you see, you know, Adam Armstrong and Ivan Toney are the ones that keep popping up. Um, I mean, obviously, Newcastle were linked to. Armstrong earlier in the window. I mean, I know it's just opened so earlier um, this this year, but he's going to cost it a pretty penny as well. Even with the what can be done with the um, the kind of sell on clause, and it all goes back to to the budget, doesn't it? And what Newcastle have to spend, and whether they would spend it on Armstrong and then lose that money, um, you know, that could be spent on a centre back or or bringing Joe Willock back.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I'd be surprised if Adam Armstrong ends up coming back. Um, you know, he's, personally, I feel the, the priority is clear. It's to bring Joe Willock back. Um, you know, bit surprised to read about the budget being 50 million. You know, I, I think, I, I don't think those big decisions will be made until Newcastle have a clearer picture of arbitration and where they are with the takeover. Um, you know, I think it could be that those decisions are, like, once again, you know, delayed a little bit. I mean, we're probably only about, you know, probably only a couple of weeks away from arbitration potentially starting, so we might know a little bit more towards the end of that, towards the end of that period, about where Newcastle stand. I think in the meantime, it's unlikely that any of the signings that Newcastle want to make will will be completed before then. So, you know, I, we're used to this in the summer with Newcastle. You know, they're the only club in the Premier League, I believe now, or just about one of the only ones in the Premier League that haven't released their accounts for the season. Um, there's no sign yet of the retained list officially um they, they they do very much tend to go quiet in the summer as soon as things go they go quiet in the summer and you know decisions are generally delayed and obviously with the takeover in the background as well um it's very much a case that you know there's so much uncertainty around around the club um but i i, I think armstrong's unlikely in the current guys obviously if they do get taken over then you know they might be looking might be looking higher than that
0: We've got 16 minutes in without mentioning the word of the takeover. We will yeah. get onto that a bit uh, later on. Um, I just want to ask about the centre-back situation because it's clear that Steve Bruce has identified the fact that he wants to bring in a centre-back. We've had uh, Christoph Erger, the, the name main man linked. We've had today the Valencia centre-back, um, when I find his name, uh, mukta degarbi he's been linked. And there's been various other ones as well. For you, Mark, is that a position that Newcastle need to really focus on? I mean, a lot of people in the comments would like the journey to come back. Um, obviously he p- played last year in the Liga, working back from that injury crisis that he's had, and he performed all right. Of course, it's a bit of a slower league, and now we would handle the pressures of getting back in the Premier League. Is it is one that remains to be seen? But his Instagram today, he's been working hard, so clearly he's not having a you know holiday, so to speak. He's he's back in the gym and working hard wherever he is. Um. Is a centre back the, the main priority? Do you think?
1: Well, no. I think I think they they desperately need the Willick position um, to be filled. They need um, if they if it's not Willock, then they need to have somebody else in there who's who's similar to him or he can do that job. Um, which I think is what Steve Bruce has always felt um, from from the from the sort of start of last season. I think he felt that that's what he needed. He was looking for um, you know Ross Barkley was one of the players he looked at. A lot of those kind of ball carrying um, midfielders he, who he wanted. So. Centre back for me feels like it's not necessarily the priority, but it's clearly something that Steve Bruce wants to look at. Um, the lad from Celtic, Isiah, was is a clear target. Somebody they've looked at as well. For me, I feel there's you know there's there's, there's a clear priority to bring somebody in who's maybe gives them something different in that position um, than they've got at the moment. You know, if they bring Freddy Fernandez back. Um, for for another year, then he's a decent option. Lejeune, I I think they will look to move on um, just because I think that Steve Bruce had a chance to bring him back earlier this season, didn't do that. Um, Had him at the start of, had him, didn't decide obviously he could go out and loan at the start of this season as well. So I think he's kind of made his decision on Lejeune and I think Lejeune will be made available again this summer. So I don't think he's necessarily going to come back. I don't think he's he's one of the ones they're looking to um, to, to bring back. Of course, you know, again, it's, it's all to do with um, it's All to do with practicalities and, and where they where they end up if they if they can't bring in another centre back then I think he will be you know he'll be back and part of the squad but I think he's probably one of the ones that they would they would accept offers for if um, if they came in.
0: Thank you for tuning in to everything is black and white podcast. We'll get back to the show in just a moment. We just urge you guys to please subscribe to the podcast through whichever platform you use totally free to do, just means every time we upload a new episode to our channel, you'll get a notification saying we've done just that and you can listen to it straight away and if you get the chance to leave us a review as well that would be much appreciated, that really does help us out, you can also follow Chronicle Live's Newcastle United channels over on social media, we're at Chronicle NUFC on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and you can email us here at the show with your feedback, your comments, your questions, whatever, just drop us a line at the eibw podcast at reachplc.com and you can also stip a date with everything to do with the club by subscribing to our daily Newcastle United newsletter. That's also free. And you'll get a morning news roundup, an evening news roundup, and a breaking news alert as well. And that'll get emailed directly to your inbox. The link for that is in the show notes. Hit that, scroll down to sport-Newcastle United, tick the box, and you'll all be signed up. Once again, thank you for listening. And we'll now get back to the show. I just want to ask you about Alan Maxman. Obviously, he's been quite clear that he sent a warning, many warnings to the club really about the players they need to bring in. He wants to see Joe Willick brought back. He wants to do more than just see Newcastle survive every uh, season. And then at the same time, look, you look at like Aston Villa. And um, I mean, I haven't read Jack Grealish say anything similar, but you imagine um, they're well aware that to keep Jack Grealish at Villa, they're going to have to show some sort of ambition. Today, they've been linked um, with various players, the young lad from Arsenal, they've had a 25 million pound yep. bid, uh, apparently rejected. I've totally forgotten his name there. We, um, Neil Smith Rowe, yeah, Smith Rowe. They've signed the, the the midfielder from Norwich, they've been linked toward Prowse. Um, what is your take on? I mean, because Steve Bruce has said quite often that we can't do what like Aston Villa have done, and he got a bit of stick for that, you know, he said it at least twice. Um, saying you know, we can't have the same kind of window. As Aston Villa have done all the way they've done it, we can't strengthen the squad in the same way. But it it looks like maybe he's spot on with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, Villa have basically got um, owners who are willing to invest in in the club, willing to invest in um, the transfer market as well. And Newcastle don't at the moment. They've got an owner who is investing in trying to sell the club to owners who he believes will. Um, Now, obviously, last summer, Newcastle did End up doing some some decent business in 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 shape of Callum Wilson and um, Jamal Lewis, who was a player who you know Newcastle fans were all very pleased to see in the end because they, they needed somebody like that. So I'm not writing off the potential of Newcastle doing something, but Villa seem to be looking for a transformative window to take them forward. They finished tenth last season, um, but for a period they looked as if they would be pushing for top six, top four even, um, but they they fell away because they were still so reliant on Jack Reeves. It feels to me like that is a window over there where they're. I know they say they want to keep Jack Grealish, but it feels like they're preparing the ground there to potentially challenge. Um, but if they're not, then you know what they, the alternative, which I think Villa fans would be absolutely delighted if, if it is the case, is that they're actually looking to add the, to the team to keep him there, and that's that's what Alan Saint Maximus was talking about, wasn't it, earlier in the earlier in the summer? He was talking about. I'm not going to stay here if we're going to get, if we're going to end up battling relegation every every year, because that's just not my, it's not in my interest. It's not what I, it's not what I came here to do. Um, and you can understand that when you see the kind of player he is. Um, so, you know, I, it doesn't, it looks like Newcastle will potentially be, again, maybe a little bit behind those those clubs. And, and I think that's why there's so much discontent about the ownership, because they, they are very conservative in the way that they attack the transfer market, you know we were all so surprised that they went and signed Callum Wilson, but that's the kind of signing they should be making every year. They have the money to do it. They have, you know, they have got the club into the financial shape to be able to do it. Um, it shouldn't be such a surprise that they're going out and signing players like Callum Wilson. That's the calibre of player you need to take yourself forward. And as we've said on previous podcasts, the reason that they ended up not in a relegation battle was because of Callum Wilson's goals at key points in the season. Um, it makes sense. It's a, it's an easy decision to make is to invest that money knowing that it's going to save you money in the long run. Um Villa have, you know, Villa finished just stayed up the year before they went and signed um Martinez and some of the other players that they went and, and got last summer. Um And now they're looking to add to that and you have to say that is the way a proper football club should be run. Mm,
0: I think many of the Castle fans watching this, listen, this will be envious of that. And But hopefully Castle can do their best in the transfer market and listen to the likes of St. maxman trying to push the, the club forward. We will now get on to the topic of the takeover. We'll start, Mark, with this coming from Scott McMahon. He just says, this is linked to what you were saying previously about maybe Mike might actually just wait to see the outcome of the arbitration. And Scott says, we can't wait for the arbitration to essentially strengthen the squad because by then, it'll be too late. And I suppose the question there is, um, at, at what point do you maybe see... Mike Ashley or Steve Bruce doing some business in the transfer market, given in the background is playing the arbitration?
1: Well, I I think things will be relatively quiet for the next couple of weeks anyway, because the the Euros are on. A lot of players, a lot of teams will be waiting to see what happens in the Euros. They'll also be waiting to see what happens with other big deals. There's probably three or four massive deals that could potentially move this transfer market quite considerably. So if a Harry Kane goes... And that creates a lot of money in the in the uh, in the in the transfer market, and then you might see Spurs looking at players who they might not otherwise look at. Then that gives money to other clubs who then do business as well. Um, you're seeing Arsenal, uh, Villa potentially looking to do some business as well. Uh, you know, if Arsenal look to do business, you might start to look at Alan Maximan and say, well, "Is that something that they're going to look to do? Is, are those the kind of players that they they look at could do?" You know, I mean, obviously Joe Willock is then. Essentially, comes available. All those kind of things, all those kind of things change. Newcastle haven't got any um, deals ready to go in the pipeline. We we kind of know that. You know, last year they had Jeff Hendrick pretty much wrapped up very early on in the transfer market. I um, They'll probably look to move one or two on for now as well. So I don't think it's necessarily a desperate um, need to do something before arbitration starts. It just depends how long that period goes on for after that. But, you know, you're looking at a situation where arbitration could go on for a couple of weeks, get to the middle of July and then teams are starting to strengthen. You know, the season starts on the 12th um, of August. So things are starting to bite into it. But I think we'll have an idea of how arbitration goes, you know, sometime, I would think, in the um, you know early part of July, mid-July. If that's the case, then you know it, it, it may be they can do stuff quickly if they if they are taken over, and 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 I think you know that will be what Mike Ashley's dream scenario. Personally, I think you know they like like your correspondent said there. They do need to start looking to do things. They need to act as if they're not going to be taken over and, and and make those make those offers. But for a guy like Joe Willock, will Arsenal make an early decision on him? I doubt it. He'll probably come back for pre-season, and they'll take a look at him. Um, and then they might try and look to start a bidding more anyway for him. So that deal might be later in the later in the window. Um, but yeah, I agree Newcastle need to do stuff quickly. But knowing how this club works, it's all, unlikely.
0: On the takeover, Mike Ashley's camp seems seem very confident about the outcome. Do you think they're being a bit bullish or do you genuinely believe that Mike Ashley is as confident as he can be that come... I don't know, August, September, the end of the year, he will be gone from Newcastle United once and for all. Yeah,
1: I think, um, you know, I think there's a, uh, there's a potential to get carried away by this supposed confidence. You know, I think that you have to be, you have to be careful with, um, you have to be careful with with people talking about confidence around the takeover because we've been here before, haven't we? With the other, with the other side. Um, And, Stavely Camp talking about confidence, talking about it'll be done imminently, it'll be done next week, it'll be done X Y Z. That, it for me, is the um is the big concern really that I have. You know, I don't think there's a, um, you know, I don't I don't think anybody knows how it's going to work. So it's all very well, Mike actually talking about confidence, but he doesn't know. He doesn't know how it's going to go. He doesn't. You know, we he might be confident. He might have his lawyers saying that they're confident as well, but. None of us know how this is going to play out. So I, I, I kind of like step back and say, let's just let's just let it play out and see how it see how it works. But yeah, clearly they are confident. He, he believes that it's gonna happen at some point. Um, but we know that the other side don't brief, don't really talk. So we don't know how the other side are feeling as well. But you know, I I I've always said, I think at some point. The amount of pressure that's on the Premier League is going to have to be resolved one way or the other. There's going to have to be a resolution where this either happens or it doesn't. Um, but the amount of pressure that's on the Premier League, I'd be surprised if it doesn't happen, uh, but not entirely shocked um, because it's taken this long now. Um, and if they don't win the point of separation, then I say it's unlikely that it's going to it's going to it's going to it's going to happen at that point.
0: In the notebook over the weekend, Mark, you uh, shared um, some stuff that you've been talking to uh, a solicitor called Paul Stoddard, who's an international arbitration expert, um, about this third way that possibly dissects um, both possibilities in the Premier League consortium in Newcastle to come to a settlement that allows the PIF to restart the takeover approval process. Just share a bit more about that to those who haven't read the notebook. I'll post it. So, the, I mean, was, the,
1: the guy was um, uh, his his theory was effectively, you know, he had to have internet inter, uh, international arbitration experience. His theory was effectively that um, the uh, Premier League taking Saudi Arabia off their piracy list was um, opening opening things up to the possibility of a settlement to be reached before arbitration or even, you know, afterwards if uh, if it doesn't go the way that the Premier League wanted to go um i think that's always been what both what what the uh, both ashley and the consortium have hoped for and they've always felt that it would be better if a settlement could be reached and if a settlement could be reached then you know the, the, the need for the expensive lawyers is um negated um and it, it's it's always been the feeling that you know on, on the uh, on the consortium's part that would be the better way to go, and that, that would be where that where how they would end up, um, getting their own way. But obviously, the Premier League have disagreed on that one so far, and their lawyers believe that they have have a different point. But, but the idea of the Premier League taking Saudi Arabia off their piracy watch this one interpretation of it is that it opens the way to making it that little bit easier for them, um, to come to a settlement with the consortium and Mike and Mike Ashley, who obviously has been very critical of the way that the Premier League have done things and is causing mayhem. I think it's fair to say to the Premier League at the moment with the, uh, the, the various legal cases and various other sort of things that are, um, uh, are being talked about.
0: Indeed. Just before we finish with a couple of questions from our viewers and listeners, just want to have a word on the NUST. They were part um, of a meeting, weren't they uh, pan, a panel of uh, the fan led review and the football governance, their gov- uh, governance rather. Um, and they kind of, you know, took issue with the Premier League. As well as Mike Ashley calling them a rogue owner and what have you, I know you spoke to Alex Hurst, who is obviously the former chair of the trust, still a, a prominent member there. Can you just explain what happened there? And do you think what they they raised, you know, to this um, review is important?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think I think the um, the fan um, the fan the panel, sorry, that um, that are a part of this review into football governance. Um, they are, you know, they're, they're absolutely. I mean, they're being given the opportunity to shake up football um, as we know it. You know, an independent regulator is on its way. I think there's no doubt about that at one point or another. football It's being seen as it's not being able to govern itself properly. The Premier League, I think, a part of that. You know, they they, um, they govern very well for um, six or so clubs right at the top, but not very well for the rest of us. There's so many issues that, that haven't been resolved around um, around football. The way that football's running, and also uh, around, in particular, I think, takeover process, the owners and directors' test, which just is, is not fit for purpose. So, um, the NUST were one of uh, the few trusts to get half an hour of um, the panel's time of it so that they could um, provide evidence on things that, you know, issues around Newcastle United. And what I think was really interesting was that they raised not just the takeover, they raised the current state of Newcastle United and how easy it's been for Newcastle. To avoid scrutiny, so avoid any kind of transparency around um, their business, any sort of communication with fans, organisations um, as well. And Newcastle have just effectively um, decided for themselves that they're going to run the club the way they want it. They don't think that they have to communicate with fans groups. Um, you know, we've seen the fans forums. That some clubs are open and um, are televised and streamed live. At some clubs, they don't have Newcastle being one of them at the moment. Um, you know they've spoken about changing things and doing things differently, but they haven't managed to get um, a regular meeting and a regular kind of way of, you know, for, um, showcasing what's actually going on at the football clubs and fans groups. So for me that is um, unacceptable, and that's one of the things that obviously this this panel are um, uh, you know uh, 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 has now been raised. It's very important um, that they actually listen to issues at clubs like Newcastle United. And if we see, uh, you know, if we see these, these issues raised enough, I hope that something's actually done about it. But I don't hold my breath because, you know, it's not new news that clubs like Newcastle just bypass regulations and things that have been set in front of them. Is it? It's not new news. Um, so, yeah, I think it was really important. I think brilliant for NEST to be able to get that time in front of the panel um, and great they were able to um, voice their concerns in the way that they did.
0: Yeah, some important issues raised. Just a quick word, Mark, on the fixtures dropping there, the first five there on the screen. Uh, West Ham at home, Aston Villa away, Southampton at home, Manchester United away, and then Leeds at home. That takes it to September the 18th. Um, I mean, look, everyone's got to play everyone, haven't they, uh, twice in the season. So I'm not really a big fan of, hard, you know, saying this is a hard run and what have you. I was just, you know, I, I, one thing that does, um, and quite rightly is, uh, angered some fans this is the fact that Newcastle have to travel to Southampton uh, on New Year's Day which is a long old trip especially during the Christmas period um, yeah just your take on or any, yeah, what did you take away from the fixture list released this morning
1: it's an incredibly difficult December isn't it you, you want to hope that Newcastle have points on the board before Christmas because that is very very tough the start's more generous than it has been in previous years um, we've just talked there about Villa being ambitious so that second game quite tough um, Southampton at home, West Ham at home. You'd be looking to take four points from those two games. Um, Manchester United, you, you never know how they how, how you know how their summer's going to go. But Newcastle haven't got a particularly good record at Old Trafford of late. Um, and then Leeds at home, you know, again they'll be looking to replicate what they did last season. So there's no such thing as a very easy start the season, you know. And we know that what happened with Newcastle last year was, um, you know, that they 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 took points from those teams uh, in mid-table, and that's what ultimately saved them. Um, towards the end of the season, obviously took points from the top four, but it's much easier, to, I think, to do that at the end of the season than it is at the start of the season when those teams tend to tend to start well, tend to establish themselves quite well in the league, whereas towards the end of the season, um, you know, they've, they've kind of had long, hard seasons and, you know, you don't know where they're going to end up uh, there. It, you know, from that first five, um, seven or eight points would be absolutely fantastic um, because, the, you know, you'd have to say Manchester United's a tough one away from home, but it's a, it's a, it, it's, a, it's a test for Steve Bruce, isn't it? Because if he wants to take Newcastle forward and they want to be kind of, you know, taking away from what they did last season rather than um, start of the, at the start of the season, rather than the end of the season, then they need to kind of start with a bit of momentum. And there is the chance for them to do that uh, with those first five. They did the double on West Ham last season, um, took points from Southampton as well. There's a big chance for them there in that first five games. And it will be, a lot of those people will be looking at it and saying, well, come on then, Steve Bruce. You know we've, we've heard so much about the revival that you kind of led. Can you do it again? And that'll be the uh, that'll be the question. But it's it's not the worst start to the season. Very tough December, um, and that game on New Year's Day is absolutely, you know, ridiculous. Because I'm sure around that time, depending on whether there are full stadiums or not, it'll be very difficult to get transport to probably transport to um, Southampton. And if that's the case, then you know you'll see Newcastle fans once again punished for being as far away as they are. Very difficult for me um, to see the justification for putting Newcastle against Southampton on New Year's Day. But and um, we've seen it before, haven't we? they always Newcastle. Always seem to get difficult uh, long away trips um, on Monday nights, and things like that as well. So no surprise really. Um, but obviously, very very disappointing.
0: Mm, it would have been better to see them play Leeds or Burnley, someone a lot closer to home. Manchester, yeah, yeah um the the tv fixture details will be released on the 21st of this month so keep an eye out for that and we will finish mark with a question on uh the shirt manufacturer just before you do you guys watching if you can see the shirt i'm wearing this side, yeah it's an everything is black and white podcast shirt um you can register your interest to potentially purchase one if you send me an email at the eibwpodcastreachplc.com and um, we'll put you on a, a list. And um, if you in the future would like to purchase one, when we've sorted out all the details, I will drop you a line. Um, I know Mark's jealous of only he wants, one cent in the <laughs> On Newcastle's new shirt manufacturer, we're expecting it to be Castoria. Um, people watching Queens yesterday would have seen uh, Andy Murray and his merchandise. We've seen the Wolves um, kits release, the training stuff release looks good. We've seen a few concept kits knocking about, People just ask him, Mark, what's the latest on this? When are we expecting this deal to be confirmed?
1: I would think early next month, um, Castor will be confirmed as the, as the new um, kit suppliers to Newcastle. We've seen the the, the stadium um, seem to have logos up. Um, when when the club put out those tweets, it looked like Castor was ready there. Um, I know the people involved at Castor are very tight-lipped on it, um, but certainly not denying the fact that uh, Newcastle are set to be their new kit suppliers. Um, very interesting to see the, the situation of Wolves and Wolves talking about the um, the way that that deal is, is a very different kind of deal from the one that they've got with Puma. Uh, Newcastle have a lot more say in um, how their kits are, are manufactured, but keep your eyes peeled for the um the first of July. I think what will be nice about this will be that Newcastle will have a bit more control over it and the fans will see something a little bit different. I, I mean, you know, Puma were good partners in some ways. Um, you know, Newcastle did get to work on some of those designs you know you saw the, the fantastic green uh, and blue um kit it was a few years ago they've had some decent kits with puma but i've always felt that you know puma are not the most important um you know puma uh, sorry newcastle are not the most important club being um, in the puma stable so if that's the case um you know you're not going to get the best you're not going to get the best of, of the kind of marketing You're not going to get the best of the designs and things like that as well so it, it, yeah i'm, I'm particularly I'm, I'm looking forward to castor i i think you'll never you'll never um satisfy everybody with your kit i think is, is the, the truth and the way that the feeling around newcastle at the moment um people aren't particularly enamored with the way that the clubs run so you might i think see a few people complaining about it when it comes but uh, you know the gear looks smart for me. Um, you know, I like my kits, I like my kind of retro kits at the moment. Um, and I'd like to see, you know, full, a full sort of you know, proper merchandise as opposed to the kind of you know what we've seen from Puma. Um, you know, I'm disappointed with their kits at the Euros, actually, the, the Italy kit, which should be an easy one to get right, you know, it should be clear, you know, very easy one to get right. I thought that their away kit was was pretty, pretty dull. Um, and it didn't look great. Uh, but um, the store will do something a little bit different. So um, they're a challenger brand, aren't they? They're a, they're a disruptor in the in the kit world. So I'd like to see, like to see them do something different.
0: Mm, It'd be nice to see something unique. Um, I'm just putting on the screen here the the new Middlesbrough kit by Hummel. And I think that is absolutely brilliant because it pays mm. tribute to the to the local area. I mean, you've got the Transporter Bridge, you know, really dominant there, haven't you? Um, on the shirt, and I think that's something that's really nice, and it would be good to see. Castoria, uh, Castore take a similar approach with Newcastle and, and do something that you know stands out. It's not gene- it's not a generic design. It would be good to see them follow something similar there. I mean you'd be a fan of that mark wouldn't you if it paid tribute yeah. to, uh, you know to Newcastle I don't know Time Bridge maybe you can know, hog- back to the 95-96 yeah. days.
1: Well it was interesting a few years ago there were well, two years ago the um, the red kit was um incorporated the um the, uh the cantilever stand um, main uh, the Gallagher standards uh, at, at Newcastle, didn't it? it? Was that was the idea anyway behind it? Was that was that was what it was trying to do? Um, you know, we've seen different nods to, to to sort of football heritage and stuff, but that's what fans want to see. They want to see, you know, their club, their their community, their their support reflected in the designs. You know, um, what's been really interesting the last few years has been these kind of quite kind of garish away kits and third kits. Of, of kind of you know come out because i as far as I understand it like they sell really well with younger fans and, and especially kids so it'd be interesting whether Castor do that as well um I've seen it suggested the away kit's going to be blue I think or some kind of some kind of uh some kind of that, that um that kind of color scheme which would be interesting um say I say my favorite away kit that Newcastle have had um was the uh, silver and black one from the uh, was the early eighties that that was a particularly good kit. Green and blue one was fantastic as well, um, and you know I I just like to see something a bit different, um, and I'd like to see them actually really make the most of these kits because it is something that actually matters to fans, and and I think the last few years you know Newcastle haven't really. You know, made a big deal of it. Puma haven't made a big deal of it. I think it should be something huge. It should be the reveal should be a big deal. It should be something where they put up they put up players. They you know they uh, make a big song and dance fit in the media and 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 it gets you know it it, it should be a big event. Um, and it hasn't really been in the last few years. It's been sort of oh well, here are Puma's new kits. Here's a few pictures, and here we go, and they go on sale on X Y Z. It should really be a big thing. It should be players. You know, doing events um if they can, obviously with COVID restrictions it should be the it should be something different. You know, it's a great opportunity for smart marketing and PR people to um, to go and do the uh, go and do the business with this.
0: Most certainly, we will all watch with interest to see what Castore, if indeed they are confirmed, uh, throughout for Newcastle United's new kit for the up and coming season. Mark, thanks for joining us on the Everything Is Black and White podcast. To you guys watching and listening, please remember to like and subscribe whichever platform you are doing. So head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep with date with all the latest Newcastle United news.